Hi, everyone. Welcome to the station of Borderlands Radio. I'm your host, Peel DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, how are you? I am I am pleasantly reminded by your voice, Bill. It has been uh, a couple months since you and I have spoken. Yes, uh, we believe that it was the Michigan State Recap Podcast, but we uh, don't employ a fact checker at the site, so we don't know for sure on that one. But uh, Matt, being here, uh, as you can guess, we're going to be talking a little bit of recruiting. If you're listening to this, it is because Wednesday uh, was National Signing Day in college football. Obviously, it's a little bit different now that there's the early signing period, but Penn State's class finished off on Wednesday with the addition of a four-star Minnesota defensive end, Devon Townley, the number 321 player in his recruiting class. Uh, Penn State, on the whole, uh, number 21 class uh, by 24-7 Sports Composite, number six class in the Big Ten is a little bit uh, misleading. Uh, the size of Penn State's class keeps it from being a little bit higher. I believe, so. I, I believe that off of uh, the average player rating, uh, they, they'd be top 15, something in that general vicinity. Neither here nor there. Uh, we're still going to talk about this class, and what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little uh, different to give people... Um, a, a way to understand the players in this class. We're going to go top to bottom of the just the players that Penn State signed in this recruiting class. We're not going to talk about transfers, anything like that. And go, what is the realistic best case and worst case scenarios for their Penn State careers? Right? We say realistic that way. Uh, we're not saying that Christian Bayou, the best case is he's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the worst case is that he never, you know, plays a never go has a practice for Penn State just something a little bit different a little bit fun but Matt we didn't have you on the uh national uh, the early signing period podcast when we did those so just real quick I want to know what are your general thoughts uh on this Penn State class one that I think we can all be honest didn't quite get to the level that we were expecting it to be when we were looking a year or two out on what the 2021 class could be, but it's still a class filled with players who uh, I think are going to contribute to winning football in Happy Valley. Yeah, I think it's um, the the elephant in the room is, of course, the the unprecedented situation and circumstances that they had to recruit into with the. Uh, the pandemic and the really they haven't had kids on campus for um, just about a year now. I think their last visit weekend was late February of 2020. Um, so here we are in early February of 2021 and they haven't hosted um, a, a high school prospect um, in, in over 11 months now. And it'll be about 14 months by the time that happens, assuming that things resume in April as has been speculated. But um, top to bottom, it's, it's a talented class. It's not the, um, and this is no slight to any of the kids that have committed. It's not the kind of class that has, um, save for a couple of guys we'll talk about here that feel like, you know, the proverbial sure thing, um, as far as guys that are going to contribute at a high level. Um, obviously there's a, a lot of, um, educated guesswork that goes into this from a coaching staff standpoint. Um, but I think what you saw happen and kind of what they fell back to as they missed out on some of their higher end targets is something that we've seen from James Franklin really since he got to state college. And that is a lot of high upside guys. And we'll talk about that as we go through here. Um, 
but guys that maybe aren't right now on February 3rd, 2021, guys that you can say are going to be surefire contributors, but guys that you can, with some some confidence, project to be in two or three years, significant contributors or more. And obviously some of those will pan out, some of them won't, but um, it's it's your typical James Franklin Penn State class in that it has full of a lot of really high-end athletic players that maybe don't necessarily have a position home at this point or are new to football or, um, you know, are, are really projectable types of players. Um, but I think it, it certainly checks a lot of boxes from a, a position standpoint. Um, you know, some of those guys, like we were just saying, are going to have to, we're going to be a little bit patient for, but I think it has a little bit of everything. Um, and I think as we go through here and talk about some of the individual players too, you'll find that, um, there's a couple guys that I think um, had they played more of a true season this year or been able to, to get on, on the camp circuits probably would have been rated a little bit higher um, across all the sites, but um, it's, it's an intriguing class. A lot of guys that, um, you know, ha- have some really intriguing upside. It's just a matter of, you know, what happens once they get into, into the program officially um, some that are in now as early enrollees and some that will happen, um, you know, in May and June in the summer sessions, but um, let's get into some of the individual players here and kind of talk about what the, uh, what specifically some of these guys can bring down the road. Yeah. One thing that you have mentioned plenty of times in the podcast in the past, Matt, you know, kind of going back to one thing you said is that Penn state uh, for a number of reasons is very dependent on getting kids onto campus. And like you said, uh, there are ways in which we could guess probably safely to one extent or another, how that impacted Penn State negatively, but still Nittany Lions were able to get a number of talented kids in this class. Uh, And we're going to go bottom to top in terms of 24-7 composite rating, which means we are going to start with the kicker. Penn State bringing in a kicker from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, Sanders Hadek. He was the number 1,634 recruit in all of in his class, three-star prospect, the number two kicker prospect in the country per 24-7 sports. Matt, this one's easy for me. Uh, he The best case scenario is he gets the job after Jake Pinnaker and Jordan Stout leave uh, following the season, should they decide. They want to leave uh, after this season. Uh, the worst case scenario is that doesn't happen, and he never puts it together. And uh, you know, he what 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 what's a what's a school that he could go to down in that area? Like uh, Shippensburg. He transfers to Shippensburg. We'll say that. I think it's you know kickers are a little bit easier to project, but I think. Um... Penn State has a very appealing depth chart at the, both specialist positions, um, but Sahedek has a monster leg, and I think um, you know certainly on kickoffs you've got um, you know one potentially two years left with Jordan Stout because of the extra year of eligibility. That's somewhere I think you could see him really contribute right off the bat. Um, and look, I think um, you know with like most positions that um, on the team from this past year, kicking was inconsistent. Um, really from, from day one. So um, there's an opportunity there if he comes in and proves himself to really, um, you know, usurp that, that's kicking that place kicking position as well from Jake Penninger, depending on, on how he arrives and, and how ready he really is. 
See, that was easy. I am sure every single kid that we talk about we will get through in the 45 seconds that it took us to get through Sanders a hating. So this should be a nice quick podcast and one that does not inexplicably go an hour and a half. Um, moving on to uh, Khalil Dinkins, three-star recruit, uh, number 660 player in his in the class from Wexford, uh, Pennsylvania, his uh, a father, Darnell Dinkins, uh, formerly uh, uh, from the NFL. Matt, he is going to be playing tight end in Happy Valley, it seems. Uh, I feel like it's a bit hard to put a range just because uh, Penn State doesn't have a tight ends coach currently. Uh, we don't know how offense coordinator Mike Yurcich, uh, which is something that I really have had a lot of fun saying over the last couple of weeks, uh, is going to get you you know use his tight ends. But it seems to me that if there is one thing working big time in Dinkins' favor, it is that he has the athleticism that could be molded into a valuable player uh, on the Penn State offense if things work out the right way for him. Yeah, and he's a guy, um, 24-7 is much higher on him, which will kind of be a theme for a few of the guys we talk about here. He's a, a four-star prospect on on 24-7 zone rankings. Um, and I think one of the reasons why, and he's a guy that too I think was hurt a lot by the lack of camps, the lack of a, a true season. He did play this fall in uh, in in the uh, the Pennsylvania high school leagues, but he was intent on on starting on offense when he gets to college. It'll be interesting to see if he stays there with with so much talent that Penn State's brought in and, and is appearing to bring in going forward at tight end. Um, he's a guy that could play a number of positions: um, linebacker, defensive end, on defense potentially. Um, but he really emerged as a, an offensive threat this year for Wexford. Um, so I think his, his ceiling is certainly a guy that, um, knows continues that, that line of, of impressive high end tight end talent at Penn state. I think the, the low end would be, you know, kind of bounces around, never finds that position and really struggles to, to contribute because of that, that kind of uncertainty about where he he's best suited. So a quick question on him. It's something that you mentioned. Uh, I'm going to really put you on the spot here, but what is the situation or circumstance, Matt, where you would envision he gets moved? Is it something where uh, it's because, you know, it's just not working for him at tight end? Is it because, you know, you look at Penn State's tight end depth chart and it is very, very good. Uh, Lamar Stevens just dunked against the Los Angeles Clippers, so I have to not lose my mind right now. Uh, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Uh, is it because Penn State's defensive end depth chart is suddenly not looking particularly impressive? Like, what do you think? Like, when do you think we have an idea of what Khalil Dinkins is at the college level? I think, um, you know, a lot depends on on what this offseason looks like. And I think we're all in, in assuming it's going to be a little bit more more typical. But I think to answer your first question, I think it's, you know, it's the depth chart at tight end and the depth chart at, we'll say, defensive end, just to, to pick something. Because I think both there and linebacker are spots where you can conceivably see them uh, potentially moving to on the defensive side of the ball. But I think it's, like you said, the tight end depth chart is just so loaded with Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, um, you know, kind of the, the two obvious candidates there that are just a year ahead of him on as far as, uh, or I guess Johnson one year ahead of him, Strange two years ahead of him. 
um, so that the, the, the pathway to playing time is blocked. And then Anita emerges on the other side of the ball, and it's a spot where he's shown in high school that he can certainly play there. And like I said, a lot of um, you know scouts and experts thought that his better position was ultimately going to be on defense. So I think you know within a couple of years, if he's able to crack that tight end rotation, then he stays there. I think if not, then either you see him move to the other side of the ball, depending on what the depth chart situation looks like, or he's a you know the advent of the portal and and the the assumption that the the one time free transfer is coming um, in the not too distant future. Um, you know he's the kind of guy that if he doesn't have the opportunity to play where he wants to, you could see him potentially um, you know, looking for that opportunity elsewhere. Um, not that we're saying that's going to happen by any means, but I think that's um, you know one of those let's see how this this new world of of transfers works out. And I think with a number of guys at, at Penn state and other schools, it's something to keep in mind, um, you know, how quickly, how patient are they going to be? Um, especially at a position like 10 end at Penn state where there's, there's a lot of talent there. Um, but at the same time, they've proven that if you're able to, pl- if you're, if you're the best option, you're going to play. Moving on to uh, the next member of Penn state's recruiting class, a uh, big Big, big dude. Uh, Nate Bruce, interior office line list as an offensive guard uh, from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, number 560 player in his class. A three-star recruit, another one of those kids who uh, 24-7 is a little higher on him on their internal rankings where he is a four-star recruit. Uh, Matt, I heard a quote today from James Franklin in an interview with Mike Farrell of Rivals where he compared just physically Nate Bruce to some of the interior offensive linemen that he would see during his time in the SEC where it's a bunch of big physical nasty dudes and I can't help but imagine that the high end for him is he basically turns into that the kind of big physical nasty dude who you're not like he is going to win against defensive battle tackles all the time and if not like Penn State has shown a pretty nice ability to have offensive linemen just have a base level of okayness about them that you you know with a guy as you know as big of a ball of clay as Bruce might be they can mold him into that yeah I think he's one of the one of the guys I'm more um intrigued by because he committed so early he was kind of a um you know off the radar kind of prospect um, you know, certainly he committed, um, no, sir, I don't have the, don't have the exact date he committed, but he was one of the, the first members of the class. Um, he wasn't highly ranked. Um, you know, it was one of those you know, local Pens- Pennsylvania kids that, um, they identified early and, and focused on, but I think it was pretty telling that if, if our listeners remember, he decommitted for about five minutes or so, it seemed like, um, gosh, probably about a year ago now. It was it was very early on. It kind of came out of nowhere, recommitted shortly thereafter. Um, but I think Penn State, both you know pre-Phil Troutwine and certainly post, is is really, really high on what Nate Bruce can be. For like you said, the reasons that, that James Franklin mentioned. He's a massive guy, big body. He kind of has to reshape his, his, uh, his build at this point which will come with time in a, in a collegiate focused um, weight training program and diets and all those things that, that you have the advantage of at a place like Penn state. Um, But he has that just raw physicality and meanness for lack of a better word that you love from, especially interior linemen. 
So I think he he's, again, a guy that's just loaded with potential that can really become, I think, a, a standout in on the interior of the offensive line. The the other side of that is he's a guy that, like I said, has to work on reshaping his body and getting you know stronger in the right places, putting weight on in the right places. Um, that doesn't happen, and he just kind of, you know, we've seen it um, at a number of positions, but especially in the offensive line where, you know, the guys that come in behind you you know, pass you up if you don't develop um, the way that you expect. I don't think um, Bruce is one of those guys where um, people that I I trust and respect that that do this for more do more of this for a living than than I certainly do um, are really really high on. I think he's a guy that has a really high floor, and I think he's got a really high ceiling too if he puts it all together. I think his 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 baseline, I think, like you said, Bill, is is that solid, but unspectacular interior lineman. Uh, speaking of guys who I think you'd agree, high floor, high ceiling, let's move on to Sean Clifford's little brother, Liam, a uh, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Yet another kid who three-star, number 534 nationally, uh, but 24-7's internal rankings have him as a four-star. Uh, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of your way on this one as our resident Ohio correspondent, but Based on everything I have seen, everything I have read, I would be stunned if Liam Clifford doesn't contribute, you know, even if he doesn't turn into uh, that Chris Godwin, Deshaun Hamilton type of guy, I would be shocked if he does not do something at the collegiate level for Penn State. Yeah, he's a guy, and longtime listeners of the podcast have no doubt heard me say this before. He's a guy that that camped for Penn State and got the offer right away when they saw him in person. Um, he he's one of those guys that um, doesn't have you know the elite size. He's he's six one, about two hundred pounds. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the strongest guy. But I, I love the Deshaun Hamilton comparison because he's that kind of player. He's you know different physical attributes and different um, you know skill set, but he's that kind of guy that doesn't do anything at an elite level, but does a lot of things at a really high level. Um, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit here because I'm reading Alan True's uh, scouting report on, on his 24-7 page. He actually calls him a big frame receiver. Um, he's, he's not a small kid by any means. He's 6'1". He's, he's bigger than the Parker Washington, for example. Um, but he's, he's fast, but he's not you know elite fast. He's strong. He's not you know overly physical. Um, he, it's, you know, you watch his, his video, he catches everything that comes his way. He runs really solid routes. I think his, his ceiling is like you said, is that, um, Deshaun Hamilton, um, you know, I think he can be potentially a Parker Washington type player too, that has probably a little bit more ability to play outside because of just a bigger body. Um, but he's, he, like you said, Bill, he's going to be like, like I said, for Nate Bruce, even too, one of those guys that, even if he never turns into, you know, uh, a consistent starter, you know, 50 catches a year kind of guy, I, I feel confident in saying that he is going to um, be a, a solid player for four or five years at Penn State just because his, his baseline of what he's arriving on campus with is so high. He's a guy, too, that um, uh, Bill Green, who covers Ohio for 24-7, was really, really high on um, when Penn State offered him. I know there was a lot of as you can imagine, a lot of question, you know, hey, is he getting the offer because he's Sean Clifford's little brother? 
And he was very adamant early on that, no, he's, he's a legit player even before he got um, some of those rankings bumps from, from 24-7 uh, after his, his standout high school season as a senior, I should say. Slightly more intriguing, because, you know, I think Clifford, I don't want to say he's a sure thing, but I think he's a very safe uh, recruit. A guy who's a little bit more uh, mysterious is Jeffrey Davis Jr., cornerback from cornerback from West Hartford, Connecticut, uh, three-star recruit, number 527 player in his class. Uh, not exactly going up against the highest level of competition in Connecticut high school football. Um, a, a kid who seems like he has some really good athleticism about him. He is someone uh, who is on campus already. So Penn state staff is going to get a little bit extra of a look at him and a little bit more of a chance to mold him into whatever they want to be. Uh, I hate kind of throwing this blanket, uh, 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 like description on him, Matt, but I think we could probably put him in the camp of, you know, he's like every really, really good athlete who has to figure out more, figure out football at this level where if he makes it like the ceiling is that he taps into that athleticism and becomes a really good, you know, a six foot uh, athletic cornerback for Penn State, and if he doesn't, then he's just an athletic guy who's, uh, y- you know, who just kind of exists on Penn State's roster. Yeah, I think um, one of the themes of this whole cycle, um, kind of as a general uh, topic, is the ability or inability in a lot of cases to evaluate these guys in person, get you know accurate, you know, not just height and weight numbers, but Forty-yard dash times, shuttle times, you know, things like that. Being able to evaluate their their physical ability in person. Um, Davis Jr. is a guy that they were able to see um, last, you know, about a year ago. Um, I believe it was on campus, but don't hold me to that. So um, he's a guy that I think they felt really comfortable with, even though I don't even know if Connecticut played high school football this fall. So I'm not sure if there was really any opportunity, you know for the 24-7s and rivals of the world to be able to evaluate any sort of high school senior uh, game tape. Um, but he's a, a guy that the staff was certainly very comfortable in. Um, and he, he checks the box of a lot of things that they've looked for among cornerbacks they've brought in over the last two or three cycles. He's a bigger guy. He's six foot. Um, you know, like you said, he's a good athlete. I believe he plays both ways um, in high school. Um but it, it, look, it's a crowded cornerback room with a lot of young talent. You know, we saw it this year with uh, with Joey Porter Jr. Um, stepping in as a, a redshirt freshman um, and really flourishing. But um, they brought in Johnny Dixon, the transfer from South Carolina. Tariq Castro Fields, who has one year left that he's going to take advantage of. Keaton Ellis is still there. Marquise Wilson is a guy that's played a lot. Daquan Hardy got a lot of run this year. Um, and he's got another classmate that, that they're really high on too, that we're going to talk about here in a little bit in Kalen King. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of survival of the fittest in the cornerback room at the moment, just with the number of bodies in there. Um, and how young a lot of those guys are too. So he's got a little bit of an advantage being, um, you know, two years behind a guy like Ellis and Porter jr. Um, as far as arrival on campus. So they're not necessarily stacked right up on each other. Um, but he's a guy that I think, um, checks a lot of those boxes, like I said, as far as what they've looked for in, in a cornerback. 
And if he's good, he's going to play. If he's not, um, you know, we've seen uh, quite a few transfers from the the secondary um, over the last several years. So, um, you know, it's a position they've recruited heavily. And uh, again, like I said, it's a kind of survival of the fittest. Uh a, a new addition, newer addition to the class, uh, Harrison Wallace, uh, a wide receiver out of Pike Road, Alabama, uh, latest guy who gets the distinction of a three-star in 24-7's composite, number 463 player nationally, a four-star on 24-7's internal rankings, number 246 player nationally, has seen a bit of a climb up 24-7's uh, composite ratings over the uh, over the months uh matt it's very nice knowing that uh penn state's got themselves a burner and at the very least like the floor for him is he is just a burner uh the ceiling at least this is how i see it floor for him is just a burner ceiling for him is he's a burner who could do a lot of other stuff too and you know he has that penn state uh a uh, 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 defining characteristic that I think James Franklin loves, which is that he also plays basketball. So a uh, lot to like about this kid. Oh, for sure. And he's a guy that really um, every year you have a number of guys that, that benefit from, from kind of growing into themselves as players, as, as high school seniors. Um, and I think the focus on guys like that this year was so much more intense because not everyone was playing as this, as, as a, a senior. So there, you know, were fewer of those guys that kind of emerged, um, uh, onto the scene. Harrison Wallace is certainly one of them. He uh, was committed to Duke back in mid October, um, shortly after getting an offer from them, which was kind of his first big time, uh, power five offer, Maryland, Penn state, Tennessee, um, were a couple that offered him after that. Um, his, I haven't had really had a chance to see much of his high school film, um, just because uh, he kind of snuck up on us, on us um, when he committed. But his basketball film is, is crazy. Lots of very um, you know, athletic dunks and, and things of that nature. Like Bill said, um, you know, he's quick. Um, he's a guy who's that ultimate low floor, high ceiling guy. If he puts it all together, um, you know, Chris God and Alan Robinson, you know, those guys that can get downfield, out jump a player, out, out athlete a guy for, for a ball. Um, on the other side, it never quite comes together because he's got all these athletic gifts, but as we've seen, um, probably more at wide receiver than a lot of other places on the field, it's not as simple as just being bigger and stronger and, and more athletic than the guy across from you. There's, there's, um, a, a skill to it. There's certainly strength, um, that comes into play. Um, but he's a guy that, um, as more and more schools got to look at him as a senior, um, really opened a lot of eyes. Um, and he jumped at that Penn State offer when it came back in, uh, in I guess, mid-November, committed just a couple of weeks after. Tennessee actually offered the day he, he flipped his commitment from Duke to Penn State. Um, and so he's a guy that, you know, the, the, the performance and the evaluation from coaching staffs kind of match what you saw from – 24 seven bumping his rating up to a, a solid four star. Um, but I think he's, he's that a, a wide range of possibilities. Um, but look out if he put, does put it all together. Uh, a guy who I feel like has, uh, I, I, I don't want to say flown under the radar, but I feel like he kind of just exists in this class and has really 
uh, gotten a ton of hype, gotten a ton of criticism. Either way is Rodney McGraw, a three-star defensive end out of Elkhart, Indiana, uh, the number 449 player in his class. Uh, another guy who plays basketball. He's a center on his uh, varsity basketball team. Matt, big dude, uh, doesn't exactly come from a football hotbed. Uh, what, what what do you think about Rodney McGraw? What do you think we could uh, expect out of him in Happy Valley? And what do you think is the best and worst case scenario for him? Oh, I think his his ceiling, he, he, he kind of fits a mold of, I think, of what um, John Scott is looking for in defensive ends. I think we saw a little bit of a change with his arrival last year and kind of the, the type of player they're recruiting to that position. He's... 6'5", big, long, lanky kid, um, probably a little bit more physically developed than some of the other guys they brought in in, in that that long athletic mold at, at, as an edge rusher. Um, I'm actually, I'm pretty high on him. I think he's, um, you know, like you said, he, he comes from a place that isn't necessarily a, a high school hotbed in Elkhart, Indiana, but um, he's a guy they identified early, flipped a, a commitment from, I believe, Indiana, um, and really, I think, you know, they've, they've been solid on, I think, you know, with some, some level of patience, he's a guy that can become at minimum a solid rotational guy. And I think, you know, like anyone who's, who's got the size and athleticism, if it all c- clicks over time, you know, can become, um, those are the guys that become those elite edge rushers. Um, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself a lot with, with this, but I think it's, it holds true with the kind of player that Penn state recruited in this class. It's a lot of, um, you know, high upside, but it all has to come together kind of players and Rodney McGraw is kind of a, a, a quintessential example of that along with some, uh, the other end we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Before we get there though, uh, it, it's to me the most, I, I, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. I, I don't know if it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's important, whatever it might be. But the guy who could, for how underwhelming this Penn State class is in the eyes of a lot of people, I think it could be redeemed pretty quickly if Christian Bayou ends up being the guy quarterback uh, from uh, Canada, uh, went to the Ballas School in Maryland, didn't have a senior season of high school, three-star recruit, number 447 nationally. Uh, Matt, the thing that makes me so interested with Christian Bay with something that James Franklin mentioned uh, on uh, the national signing day show. We went on again with Mike Farrell of uh, rivals where Franklin essentially said that after the first day of the elite 11 camp, his phone blew up with people saying good things about Christian Bayou. And then they got to the second day of the camp uh, where, and I'm going to quote Franklin here. he, said that, quote, the quarterbacks that had been training with high-level quarterback gurus, end quote, just knew how to do some of the stuff they were doing there, where it was like throwing on the run, throwing off balance, like throwing in situations that were not just getting a football and letting it rip. And it kind of confirms to me that Veyu, his ceiling is a legitimately very good quarterback, I'd go so far as to say his ceiling is the best quarterback of James Franklin's tenure at Penn State. His floor, low-level power five, 
high mid to high level group of five, that sort of thing. But I think Veyu, if he is able to get enough time with Mike Yurcich and Mike Yurcich is able to get through to him and really teach him the stuff that he has to learn, he has the potential to be a special one. Yeah, and I think it's um he's probably the the quintessential example um if certainly in Penn State's class and if not um in a regional or national level of a guy who I think was really really hurt by not playing as a high school senior this year. Um like you said Maryland um, the Maryland private school did not play this year. Um I don't even think they're playing in the spring but he's he's already enrolled at Penn State so he's on campus now. Um he like you said, is, is a, uh, a native Canadian um, moved to the United States to pursue um, a high school football and now collegiate football career. Um, he checks so many boxes as what you look for in a quarterback. He's a big kid, almost six four, um, already over two hundred pounds. Um, that day one of the Elite Eleven is is kind of the the raw arm talent part of things, um, which, like you said, he flourished. And I remember um, social media that evening. Um, of the, the first night, um, he was one of those guys that, um, because he wasn't one of the, the highly rated high four, five-star guys that were there, that I think some of the, the more passive observers of recruiting were kind of blown away by what he was doing, um, in comparison to some of those big names that are going to the Ohio States and Oklahoma's and, um, you know, the, the, the elite players in the quarterback class, um, but then he struggled when it got to the the quarterback part of playing quarterback, which was about the most expected thing you could imagine um, in that situation for him. And the disappointing part is he hasn't had a chance to really work on that outside of um, you know film sessions and and private training. He, I believe, was up in Canada, um, you know, taking classes remotely um, to graduate early from from the Bullis School. Um, so he really hasn't had much more than, you know, one-on-one kind of work since the end of his junior season in Maryland. So I'm fascinated. Um, he's not, obviously not a guy that Mike Yersich recruited. Uh, he was a, a guy that Penn State had really recruited pretty heavily for a number of years. He was solidly in their their second tier of guys behind, you know, the, the first tier was Caleb Williams and that was it. Um, as far as guys in this class that they were really seriously pursuing. I know Kyle McCord from Philly is another guy that just was never really realistic for, for Penn State. Um, but if if he puts it all together, I think there's some level of confidence with a guy like Mike Yersich working with him in his track record of you know, the guys that he's coached at basically every stop, <coughs> you know, really turning into um, – you know, a guy that can do everything that Penn State's looking for as a quarterback. Uh, going to the other side of the football, uh, the first of two uh, twins that we are going to be discussing, uh, Kobe King from Detroit, Michigan, inside linebacker recruit, number 421 player in the nation, a three-star prospect. Uh Matt, I think it's probably a bit lazy to say that the best-case scenario for him is Jason Cabinda, Uh, but I'm going to do that anyway. The best-case scenario for him is Jason Cabinda, and the worst-case scenario is, you know, he's uh, a a a six-foot-and-a-half inside linebacker uh, with good but not certain, not like 
freak of nature speed and athleticism, and that just hinders him from being someone that uh, plays three downs in college football. Yeah, I think um, he's rare in that he's that true inside linebacking prospect that Penn State's recruited really since James Franklin's been there. Um, you know, they they typically are recruiting guys that can play all three linebacking positions. That's not Kobe King. But I think with that said, his limitation is that he's not that freak athlete. He's not, you know, the biggest guy. He's only a hair over six feet tall. Um, I was actually really impressed with his senior high school tape. I thought he took a noticeable step forward. I think he answers some questions as far as, um, you know, how capable he is as a, a, a legit power five um, you know, high level power five, like a Penn state program is kind of prospect. Um, he's probably a little limited in, in passing situations. He's probably um, you know, going to struggle in certain matchups because of that size, but he is, um, he's kind of the antithesis of some of these other guys in this class. Whereas, you know, we talked a lot about low floor, high ceiling. He's a high floor, high, high floor, lower ceiling kind of guy, very much of what you see is what you get. Um, he, he'll get a little bit better with, with coaching and things like that. And we've seen it with Dwight Galt being able to, to eke out a, a little bit of extra speed or a little bit of extra agility from guys. Um, but I think he's he's a guy that is going to play at Penn State. I think he can conceivably play a little early, both because of his, his talent and because of the, the situation at linebacker that he's walking into. But um, he's he's one of those guys that I'm I think a, a lot of Penn State fans are going to like because of the way he plays the game. And I think he's a guy that's going to, um, you know, at at minimum, be a really solid four or five year player for the program. Uh, staying in Michigan, staying in the linebacking core for Penn State, uh, Jamari Budden, outside linebacker from Belleville, uh, Michigan, three star recruit, number three hundred and sixty six player uh, nationally by the twenty four seven composite rating, four star recruit, number two hundred and twenty eight player uh, by. 24-7's and turtle rankings. The thing I like about him, Matt, is that when you watch his tape, he is just a playmaker. He's fast, he's explosive, he hits hard. You could definitely see that he needs a little bit of seasoning, but if he is able to put it together, and you know, you just mentioned while talking about Kobe King that uh, he's high floor, low ceiling, but in seems like a bit of a low floor, high ceiling kind of guy where he fills out his frame. He's able to put it all together. He's going to be able to contribute it amid a really, really talented Penn State linebacker room. Yeah, I think he's he's like he's the antithesis of of Kobe King, um, where he's he's got you know the the long, lean athleticism. Um, he's a guy that's certainly going to need a, a year or two with Dwight Galt to to you know put on. Some some weight, add some strength, all those usual things we talk about. Um, he's a guy that Alan True, twenty four sevens Michigan guy, um, saw play quite a bit. Uh, Michigan played um, six regular season games and then playoff games this year. Um, and he's actually Belleville's about twenty minutes from my house up here. So um, a guy I was hoping I'd be able to see in person um, if 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 fans were allowed to to attend games this past fall, but. Um, I think he's a guy from reading true scouting reports that really, I think took another step this year and kind of answered some of those questions that they hadn't yet seen. Um, I don't say that to, I don't want to imply that he's, he's there now. Um, but I think he, he showed the kind of development that you expect to see from a guy that 
is being recruited like by a Penn State or a Michigan or some of the the bigger name programs in the country like Budden was. Um, I think it's it's he's going to be someone to to really watch. I think if he puts it all together, he can be a really nice piece. I don't think he's um, you know Brandon Smith level quite yet, but I think he can be a really solid player. And I think because again of the situation at linebacker, he's a guy that's going to have a lot of opportunity. I think. Um, in the next couple of years to make more of an immediate impact than um, he might otherwise be able to. Uh, staying at the defensive side of the football, the newest member of Penn State's class, Devon Townley, uh, four-star, number 321 prospect uh, in the nation. Defensive end from Minneapolis, Minnesota, another kid who plays basketball in uh, in in high school, James Franklin said today that uh, in that aforementioned interview with Mike Farrell that Townley is listed at six six and two twenty. When they got him onto campus and they were able to weigh him, I believe he said he was something in the vicinity of two forty to two fifty. I, I I don't remember the exact number. He's put a bit of weight on his frame and Matt uh, he seems like, you know, last year, Penn state, one of the guys that we liked in the recruiting class, Bryce Mastella uh, kind of in that similar mold, Smith Vilbert, another similar mold where big long needs to fill it out, but he is explosive. If it doesn't work out, you know, it, it, it might not be particularly fun for him, but if it does work out, look out for what this kid can do. Yeah, I think he's um I don't want to imply that he's a future first round pick like Jason Oway, but I think he's a kind of a similar story in that he's a big, long, lanky, really athletic kid who's really new to football. I think this was only his second year playing um after focusing on basketball early on in his high school career. Um kind of a, an interesting recruiting story. He was pretty quiet like a lot of kids were this year because of not being able to take visits and, and whatnot. But um, was linked to a number of schools, but Penn State was kind of always the constant. Um, he alluded to that too um, during his his commitment announcement earlier today um, on CBS Sportsline. So, um, like you said, he's he's one you know at the risk of repeating myself for the fifth or sixth time now, a guy that has all the attributes you look for in an edge rusher, um, and I think as he plays more and more, has really shown that. Um, you know, he can be a really good player. It's just the question now of, of how quickly it comes together. And if it does, uh, uh, yet another defensive player, we got, uh, quite the run of defensive players. Uh, we're, we're, we have a few more after this too. Uh, safety, uh, Zaki Wheatley, a, uh, a, from Severn, Maryland, a four star prospect, number 318 player in the nation. Uh, another one of those kids, good athlete he's a good football player he plays both ways uh in high school uh looks like they're going to move him to safety but i you know played a little bit of cornerback in high school uh you know kind of copy and paste matt i think what we just said uh about townley where bit of a good athlete bit of a project uh you know talented enough that you think he could turn into something but as he figures out what he is and as he grows into a role especially at safety which is a position where uh you know Jonathan Sutherland is there Jaquan Brisker is there there's there is a depth chart at safety but it's not a particularly convincing one it's not like there is a path to him 
contributing and playing early on if he is able to get things to work out for him. Yeah, I think one of the things that intrigues me about him is his um, the fact he's played both ways in high school. I think one of the things that um, where Penn State's really been exposed um, on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple of years is their safety play in pass coverage, um, which I think there's certainly a, a, a learning curve to it. But I think there's also a natural ability to, you know, having, you know, ball skills or whatever you, whatever coaching vernacular you want to go with. Um, watching his tape as a, on the defensive side, I think he, he comes across as a, a more natural football player back there. Um, certainly things to work on like everyone does, but um, he's a bigger kid. He's 6'2", um, 180 on 24-7's page. I'm sure he's um, you know, probably a little bit bigger than that. We'll certainly add some size and strength as he, you know, gets into the program. Um, but again, just, you know, a guy that they, they like from an athletic perspective that, um, you know, now it's a matter of, of getting into the program and, and turning that athleticism into football skill at a, at a higher level than he already has, which obviously is, it's pretty high getting in, getting scholarship offers from the likes of Penn state and Maryland and, and some other uh, Michigan state Notre Dame, um, or just a couple of the other programs that offered them. So, um, again, lots of tools. Now it's a matter of learning how to use them at a, a higher level. Uh, the penultimate defensive player that we're going to talk about on this podcast, another safety, uh, Jalen Reed out of Detroit, Michigan, four-star prospect, number 268 player in the nation, not quite as tall uh, as Wheatley. He's listed at six foot, but he is very well uh, put together, Matt, uh, I, God, I'm going to say something, you know, his, I, his four to me, oh God, how do I phrase this? I think that the one thing that really sticks out when you watch Reed is that he is a playmaker and he is capable of making really impressive things happen in the run game, in the pass game, uh, just those sorts of things. And I think his floor as a safety, because, you know, he still needs to work a bit, I think, against the pass, is bad Lamont Wade and just consistently bad Lamont Wade. I think his ceiling as a safety is good Lamont Wade, where he is flying around and making plays and making things happen and doing all the really fun stuff that made it so you were able, you kind of sat through those weak, those low points uh, that Lamont had where it was obvious that he was not naturally a safety because they were very much worth it when he got to those high points. Um, That might be, I don't know if that was mean. I don't know if that was accurate. I don't know what the hell I just said. So I will hand it over to you. (laughs) Um, He's one of those. Reed is one of those guys that I think if he was a couple inches taller would be, I'll say a hundred spots higher on the composite ranking. He's just outside the top 250 at 268. I think he's a top 150-ish kind of player if he's 6'2 instead of 6 foot. Um, because like you said, Bill, he's a playmaker at safety, which I think is the way just the game of football has evolved as a whole. 
Um, you need guys like that at safety, and Penn State has not for the last couple of years had that guy back there. And I think that's where when Lamont Wade was really good to kind of you know go off your your metaphor, if you will. When Lamont Wade was really good, he was back there making plays. He was um, breaking up passes, intercepting, causing fumbles, kind of a, a chaos maker out of the the defensive backfield. Um, that's kind of Reed's mo. Um, he's always going to be limited to some degree because of his size, but I think where he's going to benefit is he's a true safety. That's been where he is has really played since you know he's come out of the recruiting scene. He needs to get better in in pass coverage as a lot of young safeties do, because um, especially at, at the high school level, I think your, your job is almost see ball, get ball. Um, I think he's going to benefit from coming out of a program like, like Detroit King, um, one of the, the two or three really big time um, high school football programs in the Detroit area. Um, they're in the city of Detroit, I should say. Um, but I, I like a lot about what he does. I wouldn't be, altogether shocked if he plays right away um partially because i think there's a lot of um unanswered questions at safety for penn state i think it's hard to do that as a um as a freshman um but i think he's the kind of guy that does a lot of things that are going to ideally differentiate himself and and separate himself from some of the other guys that penn state has back there just because of kind of his natural instinct as as a safety then the last defensive player uh, that we're going to talk about in this class, uh, yet again, another kid from Michigan, uh, Tim Banks, really, uh, real Tim Banks earned himself a raise with what he was able to pull off uh, on the recruiting trail this year. Uh, Kalen King, Kobe's uh, twin brother, again, from Cast Tech, Detroit, Michigan, uh, a cornerback, uh, four-star recruit, number 234 player nationally. Matt, it's very interesting because I feel like he was, uh, you know, I feel like King was a player who came in and there were, like, when he committed, it was a pretty big deal, but it wasn't like a huge deal. And then I hear and I read and all that stuff about him. And it seems to me like as long as he's able to bulk up a little, He's going to be a really good cornerback at, you know, 5'11", 6 feet, whatever he is, has a little bit of meat on his bones, and is someone that James Franklin sounds like he's going to trust uh, when he is physically ready to do it to battle with uh, receivers on the outside. He's a guy that I think, um, much like his uh, his city mate um, and high school rival, uh, Jalen Reed, we were just talking about, if he had another inch or two on him, he would be... Um, you know, a top 150 kind of player. He's just inside the, the uh, top 250 at 234. Um, but he does, he has um, a, a lot of things you look for in a cornerback. Um, he's unique in a little bit um, as far as what Penn State's recruited is he's not the biggest guy at 511. Um, he, re- he has a lot of John Reed in him. Um, I think he's, like like John Reed wasn't the biggest, wasn't the fastest, but was really good at at shutting guys down, um, and was just limited by by some of his physical stature. Um, he's got a sub four second shuttle, which I think is probably the most um, impressive number as far as what's out there on him. Um, has to get bigger, has to, you have to get stronger, I should say. He's, um, at five eleven, um, <laughs> you're not getting a whole lot bigger necessarily, but um, 
he does he does a lot of he's kind of a, a natural corner in the way that Jalen Reed's a natural safety. I think he he understands the position, which um, in a lot of ways is, is half the battle outside um, for those guys. You can be the best athlete, but if you um, you know aren't necessarily a a natural at the position as far as as how to play it, then it can kind of limit some of those those physical skills. He's certainly not that. You want to talk about physical skills, let's talk about the second to last player we're going to talk about in this class, which is Lonnie White, uh, a wide receiver from Malvern, Pennsylvania, four-star recruit, number 167 player, nationally had a, you know, calling it a meteoric rise uh, is a bit of an understatement at the, when he, God, when when did he commit to Penn, he committed to Penn Uh, State on May, May of 2020, when he committed to Penn State, he was the number. F- he was the number seven hundred and fifteen prospect on twenty four sevens composite. He climbed up to one sixty seven. Um, Matt, for me, the best case scenario on this kid is he is a freak of nature at wide receiver. The kind of kid who, uh, you know, not someone that Penn State is really had at wide receiver insofar as a 6'2", big-framed receiver one who also has the speed and athleticism to make the fast and athletic Big Ten really good defensive players look slow and not athletic. And then he has the worst, you know, from Penn State's perspective, he has the worst, worst case scenario of anyone. And that is that uh, when Major League Baseball does its draft, in a few months, he hears his name called and he gets that major league baseball money and he decides to go take it. Yeah. I think, um, the, to back up on him a little bit, he played receiver as a sophomore at Malvern and then, um, out of necessity, switched to quarterback as kind of a, a, a dual option, um, running, running threat as a quarterback, as a junior before moving back to, to receiver as a senior. And every time that Brian Doan, who, um, is a national analyst for 24/7, but is based on in the eastern part of the country. Saw he saw a lot of Lonnie White this year. Every time he saw him play, I think he got a rating a ratings bump um, all the way up to I think he's now 95, which is a solid four star on 24/7's rankings. Yeah, he's the number um, 73 player, uh, not number 73 player nationally uh, in 24/7's internal ranking. And I I think if if he kept playing. I think that would keep going up just because I think every time he got out there and got more familiar with, uh, you know, readjusting back to receiver, he gets got better and better. He's six two, he's two ten, he runs well, he's he's strong, he's he's agile. I believe he's a center fielder um, as a baseball player. Um, you know, he's he's just an, an unbelievable athlete who understands and is, is has translated that athleticism to a polished wide receiver. Um, his his the closest thing to what Penn State's had like him is is Allen Robinson. You know, as good as Chris Godden was or Deshaun Hamilton, they were just a, a we'll say a half step behind White as far as just their their raw athleticism. Um, but I think where White bridges that gap is he has the the know how to play wide receiver. Um, like like those guys, um, certainly like anyone, some development to be had as he. Um, adjust to hopefully adjust to, to college football and, and stays with Penn State as opposed to pursuing a baseball career um, this summer. But I think 
he's he's that potential first round type of wide receiver if he continues to progress the way he has because he he has all those things that that make jaws drop um, in NFL front offices at that position that maybe a guy like Chris Godwin didn't and he's certainly become a great NFL receiver but he's not that one a elite go to threat like. Lonnie White could potentially become if he does put it all together. Yeah, and just be, because I feel like we should clarify this, uh, that's the worst case scenario for Penn State. Lonnie White, if you could become a millionaire at 18 years old, young man, like go be great. Like go go play baseball. There's less of a chance you get CTE there. Like go do that. Um, last player in this class. Uh, Landon Tangwall, uh, the he, he is the crown jewel of this class. Six foot six, offensive lineman from Olney, Maryland. He's listed as an offensive tackle on twenty four seven. Time time will tell whether or not he ends up playing there. Uh, four star recruit, number fifty three, player nationally. Uh, Matt, I can't imagine him being not good. Like to me. The floor for him is that he doesn't play for Penn State until his second or third year on campus. Uh, the ceiling for him is that he is able to uh, be an all Big Ten caliber offensive lineman. Like I, I'm a big believer in this kid. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail I, on the wait, head there. I, I I also shouldn't call him a kid because he's six six three hundred and looks like a grown ass adult. Yeah, I, I would not want to um, be on, on the wrong side of an argument with, with Mr. Tangwall. Um, <laughs> but I think I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the, the, the floor-ceiling discussion. His floor is multi-year pretty good starter um, at guard. Um, his ceiling is, I think, multi-year high-level starter at tackle. And I think that's where he's going to get his first look. Um, it'll be something interesting to watch because – even though he's rated as a tackle, some you know guys that I respect that that look at this closer and understand you know what you look for in an offensive line prospect think that he his upside is way way higher at guard. You know he could be a really good tackle, but he could be a you know NFL you know first round draft pick kind of guy at guard potentially. Um, I don't know enough about about offensive line talent and and things like that to to definitively say one way or the other, but I think his his ceiling is is elite offensive lineman at one of those positions. His floor is pretty good offensive lineman at one of those positions. So that's it. That's uh, Penn State's class. It, it's fun to be able to say that because there is no um, like, like there's no ambiguity uh, outside of Lonnie White maybe deciding to go play baseball. Like these are the next generation of Penn state football. And it's always uh, exciting to know that that is what uh, the future holds for Penn state. Uh, Before we go, Matt, in the spirit of uh, talking about recruiting, uh, I want to end by talking about Penn state's 2022 class. There was a, uh, I believe it was Steve Wiltfong who said that, uh, Mike Yurisich is already starting to generate a lot of buzz by uh, among 2022 recruits. Um, and I think that it's very easy to fall into the same trap we fell into last year, uh, where we said, oh, this is the class. 
this is the class that's going to this and that and that and this and that, blah, 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 and then have it not come to fruition because we were projecting. The thing with the 2022 class, it seems to me, Penn State's already number three nationally, number two in the Big Ten behind that juggernaut in Columbus. In a way that I don't really remember a Penn State class with, you know, a year before signing day, they've put down a very, 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 very good foundation with the eight players that they currently have committed, all of whom, you know, I don't have, I'll pull this up right here, but currently the worst player uh, by his recruiting ranking in this class uh, is Bo Prabula, the quarterback prospect out of Pennsylvania. He's the number 331. Uh, rec- oh, no, he's, uh, you know, 0. 0.8911 uh, recruit rating. If he had that rating in Penn State's current class, he would be uh, the sixth best player in it. So fifth or sixth best player, something like that. So. Penn State's put together a really good class already, and while, like I mentioned, we fell into this trap with the 2021 class, with the 2022 class, it's really, really, really hard to think anything other than this has the potential to be special, what James Franklin and co. are able to do. Yeah, I think there's two reasons for that. One is, like you said, Bill, they were off to a really, really good start with with seven commits, seven, um, eight, um, all of whom are are, uh, at least low four star the 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 range is from 0.8911 in Prabula um which is just a hair above the the cutoff to 0.9493 which is um McKee Flowers who's the number 121 player nationally at the moment um so having that that good base to start from and obviously things can change you know they've got two tight ends currently committed in uh Jerry Cross and Holden Stays you know we'll see what go what happens there with uh Tyler Bowen going off to join Urban Meyer in Jacksonville um, with the Jaguars. But even if they, you know, the the natural attrition that happens, especially with guys committing so far out and having not been able to take visits, um, they've got a base of guys who are really good. And I think what's special about them is they're guys that are already very familiar with Penn State, by and large. Um, McKee Flowers, uh, Harrisburg. Drew Shelton, Downingtown, Ken Talley, Philly, Anthony Ivey, Lancaster, Bo Perula, York. So they've got those five guys that are from Pennsylvania that that obviously know the program really well. Um, then you add in um, Jerry Cross, who's a guy that um, wanted to commit about a week or two yeah, before he did. That young um, man really wants to come to Penn. Real, really wanted to come to Penn State. I'll say. And, and then and Holden stays the tight end from uh, just outside Atlanta. Um, is a guy that once cross committed um, without getting into all the details is, um, you know, wanted to be a part of the class because of what Penn state's done at tight end. Um, and then the, the, I think the guy that could turn into arguably one of the jewels of the class is Caden Saunders from uh, Westerville South, just outside of Columbus, um, same high school that produced uh, Kajana Carter for uh, longtime Penn state fans. Um, he's a guy, even though he's from out of state and from Ohio state's backyard that, um, just loves Penn state. He's been on campus a number of times. He's a guy that, um, James Franklin has kind of be, made it a priority to be really involved in his recruitment. 
um, you know, and as the head coach, which isn't always necessarily the case. Um, but that should tell you kind of what they think of him. And he's an electric playmaker at wide receiver, kind of, um, I'm not going to say KJ Hamler, but that kind of elite kind of uh, athlete that gets the ball in his hands and, and can score every time he touches the ball because of um, his speed and, and quickness. Um, so th- they've got five of the top 12 in Pennsylvania already committed. And then um, just going down the list here real quickly in Pennsylvania, Eni White is the, is the star, the five-star defensive end from, from Philly, um, who they're certainly in on. Keenan Nelson, the cornerback from St. Joe's, same high school as, as John Reed, um, certainly in on him. Both those guys are going to have to do some work on. Um, Nick Singleton from Reading, the running back, um, r- really high on Penn State. Um, given the way Penn State's recruited running backs, I think that's a guy you can be somewhat confident in. And then you get down into, um, you know, Drew Shelton or Flowers and Shelton are four and five. Anthony Johnson's an inside linebacker um, in Philly. He's a guy um, along with um, Abdul Carter, another linebacker um, at LaSalle College, um, just outside Philly, that um, are both really good players. It's going to be interesting to see how Penn State pursues both of them, just kind of given their general um, philosophy at recruiting linebacker. But those are our guys that are certainly in on. Um, and I think it'd be expected that they land at least a couple of those. Um, then going kind of nationally here, um, you're Sean Murphy, uh, inside linebacker from, from Virginia is a guy, a five-star linebacker that, um, was included. Penn State was included on his recently released. I think it was a top eight list. Um, Gunnar Givens offensive tackle from Virginia. Um, they're writing it there with him. Um, Clemson might be the leader at the moment. Um, Tyler Booker, an offensive lineman down at IMG is a guy they're really high on originally from, I believe, um, the Northeast. I might be wrong on that though. Um, and I'm, uh, the guy I want to talk a little bit about, um, is Danny Dennis Sutton, um, at McDonough school, which is a place that has been very good to Penn state, um, with PJ Mustafer and Devon Ellis and, uh, um, Curtis Johnson, um, not Curtis Johnson. What's his last name, Bill? Uh, from, the... from McDonough, the lot, Curtis Jacobs, Curtis Jacobs, yes. <laughs> Why I can never remember that. I don't know, but, um, going back to Dennis Sutton, he's a guy, um, he's a four-star defensive end. I think, um, and I've read from enough people that think he is, um, every bit as good as Eni White doesn't necessarily have the rating at this point. Um, a couple of crystal bar ball picks, um, from Sean Fitz and, uh, Brian Doan for him, um, that I, I think once he's able to go out and take visits this spring as a guy that I think Penn state feels really confident in, in landing. Um, we talked about Nick Singleton. Um, they've already landed a lot of their, their top targets. A guy that'll be interesting to keep an eye on is Shamar Stewart down in uh, Florida that, you know, uh, top five player nationally at defensive end. He likes Penn state. I think the challenge is going to be if they can get him on campus, um, you know, never cut out Jawan Sider on that one. Um, but a, a guy that I think um, is, is intriguing because I don't think Penn State necessarily gets him, but I think they're gonna they're more in it than than it's perceived at this point because of some of the names that get tossed around with him. Um, at quarterback, it'll be interesting to see if they take another player now with um, with AJ or with uh, Will Pabula. One guy to keep an eye on is AJ Duffy, who just transferred from California to IMG down in Florida. Um, should mention real briefly that um, Booker, the offensive tackle that I mentioned, um, is down there. But uh, Drew Shelton is transferring down there for his last year as well. So quite a bit of Penn State flavor at IMG. 
Um, George Petaway is a running back from Virginia that um, they're they're really certainly pursuing. Um, I mean, and that's all these guys that I mentioned are top, you know, 120 or better. And that's, I think we've certainly had this conversation in the past where it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, you know, wishful thinking. I think this feels different to me, you know, at least at this point in early February, both because of the momentum that the class already has with the guys that are committed. And so many of these guys are right in Penn State's backyard. And I think because of some of the internal changes that James Franklin's has made as far as how they they recruit, I think um, they have themselves more involved with a lot of these kids than maybe they have in years past when we've had this conversation. So, yeah, uh, go take it to the bank. Matt DeBear says Penn State going to be the number one recruiting class in the class of 2022. That's uh, something that we are all very much looking forward to. Uh, remember that for the next time we uh, do a recruiting podcast. I, I think that's it, Matt. Any any final things you want to add on the class of 2021 or 2022? No, I think it's, um, you know, be a little patient here as, as um, you know, visits will hopefully be back starting, um, you know, sometime in, in the late spring. I think the dead period runs through, through April 15th at the moment, and the talk is that um, you'll have um, kind of an easing back into things, not necessarily – um, official visits, but you know, be, having coaches being able to get back out on the road to some degree, having kids back on campus, um, more of a um, as opposed to a dead period, more of a quiet period um, before I think things ramp back up as as the uh, the health situation hopefully improves across the country, which is obviously the most important thing. For sure. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you might get your podcast. If you go to Apple Podcasts, please leave us uh, a five-star review. Uh, keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is always make sure you are checking out what we have in our store and buying some shirts. Uh, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Uh, and then, of course... Because, as Matt mentioned, we're, uh, there, there's a bit of a light of the tunnel. Make sure you're still wearing masks. Make sure you're still washing your hands. Make sure you're keeping your distance. Get the vaccine when you can get it. All those sorts of things. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. From my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. <laughs>